Praise the Lord, Refuge Church, and happy Mother's Day. I'm so thankful to be here with you all and thankful for this day and some of the special things that we have planned for today, and I hope that you are able to celebrate and honor your mother today. Um, I am thankful to be able to come to you with the word of the Lord today, and I want to just go right there. If you would, go with me to Galatians chapter 4, verses 19 through 26 is what we'll be reading today. And uh, as Pastor says, if you want to pause for a minute and get your Bible, that'd be a good idea while you're doing that. Why don't you look at somebody and say, are you my mother? Um, somebody might say yes. You might get to sit next to your mother today. You're lucky if so. This is what Galatians chapter 4 says. It says, My little children, for whom I labor in birth again until Christ is formed in you. <clears throat> I would like to be present with you now and to change my tone, for I have doubts about you. Tell me who you desire to be under the law. Do you not hear the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, the one by a bondwoman, the other by a free woman. But he who was of the bondwoman was born according to the flesh, and he of the free woman through promise, which things are symbolic. For these are the two covenants, the one from Hagar, from Mount Sinai, which gives birth to bondage, which is Hagar, for this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia, and corresponds to Jerusalem, which now is, and is in bondage with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, which is the mother of us all. If you would, before we begin and get into God's word, if you would pray with me. Lord, you've been so good to us and you are a faithful and a mighty God. And I pray that you would help us today. We want to receive from your word. We want to be changed by it and molded by it and prepared by your word today. Open our ears to hear your word and open my mouth to speak your words today. Thank you for your people and thank you for the mothers. And I pray that they would feel blessed and honored today in Jesus name. Amen. Well, as you all know, we are in the middle of the beginning of our building project here in Rock Island, and we're looking forward to the day when we have our own building to be able to meet in, and we're looking forward to the day when we can meet again. A lot to look forward to. <laughs> but uh, back in January, I got to meet our architect for the first time, and he suggested that I read a book, and the name of that book is Why Men Hate Church. Um, he wanted me to read this book before I made any decisions about the decorations that would go in our church, because this book kind of talks about how, uh, decorations in churches when they are too feminine can turn off men from actually coming and attending the church. And so, uh, he wants me to kind of stay away from that. And, um, you probably could see that reflected a little bit in the video that we showed a while back of our new building, the walkthrough, but today is mother's day. And this is the day when most of you guys have to come in church and you see we've usually got more flowers than normal and there's normally a very pretty gift out or we cry a little bit and we talk about our moms and do all those things that maybe make feel, guys feel a little bit uncomfortable and that's okay today, right? But strangely enough, our passage written by a man, by Paul the Apostle, he writes these words that he is laboring in birth again. So that 
is something written by a man that you wouldn't expect there. But of course, Paul, as the caretaker of the church in Galatia, is writing to help give us, the church, a better understanding about our role in our relationship with God. As the New Testament church, we're born into this free Jerusalem. We don't follow that Old Testament law, and we're free from the weight and the bondage of that, um, those 600 laws that we or more that we've talked about before. Um, we're free from that, and that Jerusalem that is above, talking about the church, that's us, it says Jerusalem is our mother. The church is our mother. So to the whole church today, happy Mother's Day. And men, I don't want you to feel weird about this, but I think that we should all be thankful for such a specific role and a picture that God gives us as how we are the church are supposed to act, especially in the world that we live in that's confused and upside down. You know, as Christians, when we search the scriptures, and you should be searching the scriptures, we know that there is a biblical pattern for motherhood and for the family and and that mothers should be nurturing to their children and preparing their home while fathers provide for both the mother and the child. And this is not a very popular thing to talk about uh, in our modern world. And it, it's honestly sometimes not even something that is possible for a lot of families. A lot of families, the mothers and the fathers go to work and we don't see a mother's able to stay home as much as used to be the case. But when we read the Bible, we get a picture of the family unit um, kind of different than we see today. And that is the husband is the father, the wife is the mother, and then there are children, each with different roles and different responsibilities. And Colossians chapter 3, verse 18 through 21 gives us a good picture of the Christian home. It says, wives, submit to your own husbands as is fitting to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be bitter toward them. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well and pleasing to the Lord. I don't want to hammer these issues today, and we've talked about them before in ladies' meetings and other things, but what I want us to focus on today is how it is important to get a clear picture of what the New Testament believers in Galatia would have been thinking about when they read the letter that Paul sent them, when he called the church the mother. While the Western world has seen a shift in single parent homes, mostly single mothers, this was not, and it is not, God's plan for our families. The plan was one that he established in the very first pages of the Bible when we read about man and woman coming together as husband and wife, and then came sons and daughters. And you know what? Even small kids understand this because they have songs on the playground like K-I-S-S-I-N-G, first comes love, then comes marriage, then comes baby in a baby carriage. Even small children have that understanding of man and wife and children and the plan that God has for us. And God has a plan for us as the church as well, as his bride. And it's not to be a barren bride, but to have the role of a mother. And we see that over and over again in scripture. There is a comparison to one's physical life through new birth, growing up and transitioning, as Peter put it, from milk to meat. We are meant to have spiritual babies. Church, we are meant to be a mother and to bring up spiritual babies to spiritual maturity. One of the first services um, in this 
circumstance that we're in. When we were watching in our living room, like so many of you all, I sat next to my husband as I watched him preach a message. And in that message, he made mention of Mark chapter four, the parable of the sower. And it was during this and while I was thinking about this parable that God completely changed my thinking. I love this story. I, I love uh, the picture that God gives us of the farmer going to, to plant seed and he plants it by the wayside and the birds come and eat it up and in the stony ground and among the thorns where it gets choked out. And of course, there's good ground that comes up and brings forth fruit. And so many times I have referred to this scripture and thought about it to use it as an excuse, an excuse for myself to say, you know what? I tried to plant a lot of seed, but only one fourth is going to bring forth fruit anyway, right? So all I have to do is sow kindness and sow the word and mention his name every once in a while. And that's enough because even Jesus said that just one fourth would bring forth fruit. But I was convicted as I thought about the story again, because I don't really think that's what Jesus meant. I have recently, uh, been working a little bit more in my garden than normally. I'm not much of a gardener. I can usually kill a, uh, a cactus. I've done that a couple times. <laughs> I'm not good at it, but I do know that if I see a weed, I have to pull it. And that before I plant a plant, I need to dig up the stones in the ground and I need to prepare the ground before I cover it with mulch and before I plant things. Gardening, farming, bringing forth fruit takes work. I might have to dig up the stones to make ground good. I might have to pull out the thorns so that it doesn't choke the word that I have planted. There might be people, and it takes a little bit more than just one invitation to church or one Bible study or me being kind to them to see the fruit come forth and them being born again into the kingdom of God. But if I am willing to work and to labor hard in his kingdom and to follow after him and his will that nobody perish, then I believe I can see more than just one fourth yield. I can see, uh, I can see a greater harvest. I am not limited by what I would like to use as an excuse saying that only one fourth is going to bring forth fruit. No, I am going to work. I'm going to nurture and I'm going to be a mother and nurturing to that seed that I have planted. Jesus said when he looked up and he saw a field ready to be harvested, he said, look, the fields are white, ready to harvest. I believe that when Jesus was looking at these fields, what he saw was the people, the masses that had been following him. And the Bible tells us that when he did lay eyes on those masses, he was moved with compassion. He knew that there was a harvest there and that they needed a shepherd. And he was moved with sympathy and with kindness and with concern. Those are emotions that as mothers we feel so often when we look at our children. And I dare you to pray that God would move you with that same kind of compassion, that same sympathy and kindness and concern. When you look at people that need him, that people that need to be born again to the kingdom, people that need a little bit more attention to bring forth fruit, ask God instead of being frustrated that he would move you with compassion. Being a mother like that in God's kingdom, seeing souls born and raised up, it is costly. Kind of like motherhood. It costs my time and it costs my thoughts and it costs my money and it costs my privacy. That's what motherhood costs sometimes. It's a lot of work. 
It's a lot of work to answer that phone call at, at an inconvenient time. It's a lot of work to take time and pray for those who you have planted God's word in, to spend money to take them out to eat and, 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 and bless them or to help them grow up. It costs your time to be a soul winner, to be a mother in the church. And becoming a mother, we know in the physical, it's not always a choice. You can't always plan it. But whether or not you will keep or raise or train a child, that becomes a choice in your actions and how you, you act on that. It is a choice. There is a, a book that I used to read to my kids, and it was called, Are You My Mother? And in this book, um, it starts with a, a mother chick or mother bird, and there's an egg in her nest. And she's trying to prepare her nest for this egg to, to hatch. And she thinks the baby's going to be hungry when it hatches, so I'm going to go get food. And she leaves the nest, and during that time, the egg hatches, and the baby is born, and it falls out of the nest, and it goes on a journey looking for its mother. And it finds a kitten, and it says, are you my mother? And then a hen, and then a dog, are you my mother? None of these things are her mother. It, it finds a, a boat, and a plane, and even a bulldozer and asks, are you my mother? And it's comical to kind of think of that. Thankfully, the baby's reunited with its mother. But as a baby, it didn't, it didn't even recognize its mother. And it's comical to think about that. But I wonder if those, there are people out there, they are looking for us, the church, to mother them, to see them born into the kingdom of God, and it, it's not a, they're not able to recognize us yet as such, but they are looking for us. And will we make ourselves available that when someone reaches out to wonder, are you my mother? Are you the one that can see me born into the kingdom of God? Are we able, are we too distracted with our own business and our own timeline that we don't notice that we are needed, that someone is looking for us to mother, to nurture them? I don't know if you remember, but I'm sure you do if you were there because it was dynamic. During the 21 days of prayer and fasting, we had a prayer service specifically focused on backsliders. And during that time, we wrote on plates their names and we filled the pews in the sanctuary with those plates and all the names of our prodigals were there. And it was so wonderful to see our sanctuary filled up with those names. If they all came back, we would double these wayward families, these prodigal sons and daughters that were waiting on to return, it would totally change the dynamic of our church. And, and when I go to the prayer house where we've put up all those names, I, I speak the names, whether I know them or not. And, and some of them, I speak their names and I, and I, I recognize their names and I want to see them come back so bad. And it's an amazing and a joyful thought. But I was challenged to really search my motivations recently as I listened to a sermon online that our general youth president, Brother Josh Carson, preached. And he said this, he was talking about Saul's conversion and how Saul had been a terrorist to the church and how it must have been very difficult for the church to accept him into their fold. And he said, we need to be prepared to have an acceptance for the people we have been praying for when the knock on the door comes. People that we have prayed for and we have even prayed against, we have to be prepared for their dramatic conversion. Even the ones that have persecuted us, even the ones that have done us wrong, that have spoken evil of us, that have left on bad 
bad terms. We've got to be ready for when there is a change and a shift in them. I know, I know there are backsliders watching now. I know there are. I know that you might, some of you be in a mess and there are things that you're dealing with and they're so frustrating. It looks so difficult to get back. But I want you to know there is a place for you, that we are preparing ourselves for you to come back. The Samaritan woman at the well in John chapter 4, this was a, a backslidden woman. She knew about the Messiah. She knew about worship. But somewhere along the line, her life had gotten off course until she had already been married five times. And she wasn't even welcome at the well with the other people. She was an outcast. But Jesus met her at the well, and he so changed her life with his living water that she, she was so different that this city that had rejected her, it saw the difference in, in just a few days. Men in her city went to find Jesus so they could ask him about the change that they had seen in her. And her returning, her conversion completely brought revival to her city. That can happen. As you watch, I know, I know there are people watching and, and, and they want to come back. You want to return and you're just maybe worried about what that's all going to mean and how that's going to look and the changes in your life. But God is waiting for you to return. And you know what? Jesus has a plan for your life. And I believe your testimony, your return is going to bring revival like you never expected. And I want you to know that the Refuge Church, we are preparing ourselves for you to come back. We are preparing to see you born again into the kingdom of God to return back into the fold. We are preparing ourselves like a mother expecting their first child. We're getting ready for you to return. We want to help you. I'm so thankful that the word of God gives us relatable stories and parables through which we can understand better the word of God. There's always comparisons in the word that I'm like, well, now I understand that better. And Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25 through 27, gives us a picture of the husband and wife relationship, but also of the relationship that God wants to have with us. And it says this in verse 25, Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she might be holy and without blemish. See, we are the mother he is the father. We are the bride of Christ. I mentioned earlier the way that the early church would have recognized the roles in the household. And the truth is, if you search out in the New Testament scriptures that are instructions given to mothers, you really won't find anything. But what you will find is instruction that's given to wives and to parents as a unit. And I know that this is incomprehensible to us as the modern day church because the world has kind of reconfigured the family and it's not that recognizable anymore as it used to be. And I know that listening to me today, there are probably more untraditional families and single parent homes and mixed families and abandoned families than there are that those that fit into this biblical mold. And I am thankful for a church that is a safe place for these people. And we should be. And if you fall into that untraditional category, we are glad you're here. We are glad that you have found a safe place to call home and you're in the right place. 
But I don't want us to lose sight of what God intended. I don't want us to let what the world is doing with the family to skew our understanding of what relationship God wants to have with us. Let's not lose sight of what his, what he wanted the family to look like, the husband, the wife, and the children. And the reason is this, if we lose sight of his master plan and what he intended, then we lose sight of our need for him. The, the enemy would like to come in and to, to confuse us and to make us think differently about families and about our roles that we play because he doesn't want us to depend on Jesus as a father and as a husband. He doesn't want us to do that. But as the bride of Christ, we can depend on him and we can't lose sight of our need for him. As his bride, we enjoy a unity with God that is reflected in a familiar scripture in Mark chapter 10, verses 7 through 9. It says, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and these two shall become one flesh. So then they're no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. While we enjoy this unity with God, We cannot replace him. The church was not meant to be a single parent home or a home where the father is absent or not included in the decision making. We've all heard that saying, we know who wears the pants in this family. And it often means a wife that that makes all of the decisions or a mother that rules the home. And God did not intend for that to be the case in homes or in his church. As the body of Christ, as as the bride of Christ, we need him. We need to depend on him for our decision-making. And we cannot make the mistake of thinking that simply because we're labeled the body of Christ, we can replace him. It can't be done. There's a cartoon that my son used to watch on repeat when he was little. And it was Cars. And... A lot of you probably uh, remember this old cartoon. It's it's old now. But in it, there was this rusty old pickup truck called Mater, tow truck. And he is known for a line. It's probably one of those lines that was more meant for adults than kids. But he says in that cartoon about um, the attractive car, he said, she just wants me for my body. Well, cartoons make it easy for us to laugh at these harsh things, kind of make fun of this idea. But I want to ask, during this time of absence from the body of Christ, is that true about you? Have we longed only for the fellowship of the body of Christ, being together with members of our church family, and not longed? to know the heart and mind of Christ, that's what we should be doing. We should be enduring this absence from his body by being connected to his heart and to his mind. I read a story recently, an article about a couple who met right before World War II, and they're from England, and and they met, and right after they met, he was drafted into the war and left, and as friends, they began to write letters to one another, and they wrote over 600 letters to one another during the time that he was away, and it was during that time that they fell in love through their letter writing, having no contact with one another outside of that, and now they've been married for 60 years, and they truly believe that the 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 reason is because that they fell in love through those letters, getting to know one another's hearts and getting to know one another's minds. You know what? We will soon be together again. But until then, 
Are you searching out the heart and the mind of God? Are you reading and digesting his words? Are you spending daily time with him in prayer to fall in love with him even deeper? I know when I do this, there is a realization that he wants to speak to me, that it's not just a one-way street, that I'm not just the only one, but he is reaching for me. The closer I get to him, the more I know his nature, the more I can be certain of his voice. I can be so certain of his voice that he stops me in the middle of the day and tells me to do even the most simple thing. I'll know it's him and I can follow after his will. That's the kind of relationship that I want to have with him. And that can't come if the only time I spend with him is with I'm, when I'm with the body of Christ. It's got to go deeper than that. And this is your opportunity to take your relationship with him deeper than that. I want to speak to the married mothers that are listening some practical advice. You might be the mother of small children. And you might think that they merit all your attention and they might take all your attention because they're little. And you might be the mother of children who you chauffeur all around and that seems like your only job right now. But I want you to understand if that is where your whole focus is, that before you know it, your baby bird will be out of the nest and not worried about where you are anymore. And when that time comes, you will still be the bride to the man that you are married to? And have you invested in that relationship more than in the relationship with those kids? There is a point here, so, so stay with me. If you do that, if you invest in your relationship with your husband, mothers, you will be a better mother and you will be able to facilitate an environment for your spouse to be a better father, which will in turn give you the best results in raising your children. This is a practic This is practical advice. There's a spiritual side. Of course, I know that this practical advice doesn't relate to all of you. I know there are single mothers and single adults. And you, you need to know that if you will focus on God more than any other relationship, if you will get your eyes on Jesus, he will take care of you. He will take care of the rest. You know what? God loves you and he loves your family and he loves your children better than you ever could. You need to surrender to him. You don't have to hold all the pieces up by yourself. Jesus has called you to lay your burdens on him, to, to let him carry that heavy load. He simply wants you to walk beside him while he carries it. Some of you say, you know what? I've got this. I don't need help. And you might not say it with your mouth, but you have said it in your actions. But I want to tell you what that's called when you're not relying on any help from the Lord, when you're not relying on any help from his body, it's called pride. And some of you are thinking, well, Sister Brown, I'm not proud, you know, I'm just stubborn. Well, I want to share a verse with you about stubbornness and you'll recognize the first portion. It's 1 Samuel 15, 23. It says, for rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Well, there it is. Mom, dad, grandma, grandpa, sister, brother, aunt, uncle, whoever you are and whatever you're called. If you are too stubborn to rely on God to carry you and your family where he wants to take you, then you have crowned yourself king of your own life. And that is idolatry. And some of us do that with our kids. We put them above every other relationship. 
We put them above every other need of our own or of our spouse, and we are making a mistake. I love my kids. And I want you to, to, to misunderstand me. I love my kids. But if I don't invest time with their father, with my husband, if I don't make that my most important relationship, there is an imbalance there. I've got to do that. And there's a spiritual flip side to this. Remember, we are the mother. We are the ones that, that are expected. We are going to nurture the spiritual babies that God sends. But if we don't spend time with him, the father, then how are we going to do a good job at what he's calling us to do? We cannot be the ones so worried about the growth of these spiritual babies, about creating a nice environment for them to call home, about our programs and our buildings and our community service and our social media. We can't be wor so worried about these things that we never inquire of the Lord what it is that he wants us to do and how it is he wants us to act. Have we become so worried about those things that we have neglected our relationship with the everlasting father? Have we quit asking for his wisdom and seeking his counsel? We cannot. We cannot quit depending on him because it becomes idolatry. In my daily Bible reading yesterday, I read an all too familiar story, and you'll know it, where Jesus feeds 5,000 with five loaves and two fish. Of course, I continued reading past the story in my chapter that day. And when the miracle was complete, the disciples had gathered the leftovers and the night has passed. It's the same night that Jesus walks on the sea to meet the disciples. The next day, the masses, the people are searching for Jesus and they find him. And the Bible says that Jesus calls them out because he says, you're not looking for me because of the miracles and the signs that you saw, but because I fed you physical food. The reason this impacted me so much is because when I read this, I couldn't think of a time when I have searched out Jesus because I was physically hungry. I have never been in such a circumstance that my searching for him was to ask for my most basic needs to be met. As a result of that, I, I had to search my heart and wonder, can I find in me a dependency on him like I should have? Do I daily come to him recognizing that he is the provider of everything in my life? Do I truly believe the scripture in James that says every good and every perfect gift comes from above? Do I truly pray as Jesus taught his disciples, give us this day our daily bread and mean that I am depending on him for even the food that I'm going to put in my mouth and not on myself and not on my family, but on him. We must get to a place where we depend on him as he intended us to. In our opening scripture in Galatians chapter four, Paul quotes Isaiah 54, a little later in the chapter. And I want to read a portion of that chapter to you. It says this in Isaiah 54, verse one says, sing barren woman who has never had a baby, fill the air with song. You who've never experienced childbirth, you're ending up with far more children than all those childbearing women. God says, so clear lots of ground for your tents, make your tents large, spread out, think big, use plenty of rope, drive the tent pegs deep. You're going to need lots of elbow room for your growing family. You're going to take over whole nations. You're going to resettle a 
abandoned cities. Don't be afraid. You're not going to be embarrassed. Don't hold back. You're not going to come up short. You'll forget about the humiliations of your youth and the indignations of being a widow will fade from memory. For your maker is the bridegroom. His name is God of angel armies. Your redeemer is the holy of Israel, known as the God of the whole earth. Church, we are the bride of Christ. And his intention for us is not to be barren, and maybe we have been for a long time, but that time is coming to an end because I am certain that God is bringing us spiritual babies who are going to ask the question, are you my mother? And they have been looking in all the wrong places and all the wrong people, but we have to be ready. We have to be prepared to say yes and to act as the mother of the church. Let's pray, God, help us. We want so badly to be positioned for what you want us to be positioned for. We want to act as you have called us to, as the mother to those that are looking to be born again into the kingdom of God. We are willing, Lord Jesus, put the right tools in our hands, oh God, fill our mouths with your words, how we need you, Lord Jesus, and we trust you and everything that you're doing. In Jesus' name, amen.